Hey there, you may already know my story from thinking that my life wasn't very valuable or have much purpose to transitioning to the belief that I am valuable and my life was created for a purpose and then starting to finally pursue my biggest dreams. And I have a feeling you might be on a similar path that you're wanting to fully believe in yourself and your quote unquote crazy dreams and have the confidence it takes to audaciously pursue those dreams. So if you're listening right now and thinking, yes, Janelle, that is 100% me, then I have something special for you. You see, I still remember the days where I cared way too much about what other people thought of me and was filled with uncertainty around what I was and wasn't capable of doing with my life. And looking back, I am certain that there is one thing that I wish I had known all this time. I want to share it with you to help you make the transition from caring way too much about other people's opinion of you to becoming a free bird, fully allowing yourself to pursue what you want. So I've created a free resource that lays out the number one thing that's getting in the way of you having that unshakable confidence and how to overcome it. If you're ready to commit to your personal growth and get real honest with yourself, Go to nextlevelconfident.com forward slash confidence muscle and grab this free resource. What's up? You are now listening to the Next Level Confident podcast with Janelle and A. If you are ready to challenge your previous ways of thinking and take action on the bold, purpose-driven life you were created for, you'll want to keep listening. On the show, we will vulnerably discuss finding your purpose in life, strengthening your mindset, building quality relationships, and prioritizing your health. I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's do this. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Next Level Confident Podcast. Today, I would like to welcome Christina Stethopoulos. Wow, I think I did it. Founder and head coach of Hear Her Roar. She is a professional certified coach and an international speaker dedicated to coaching women's leadership and ampli- amplifying their voices. Christina, how are you today? Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. And you're right, you totally nailed it. I know the yes. Greek last name can be a doozy, but it makes an impact. It has people remember you. That's, That's true. It. They can never forget you because of that last name. It's so cool. <laughs> Okay, you guys, so if you're listening, you can connect with Christina on her website. It is hearherroar.net or on Instagram at herextina, the, the letter X, and then Tina, T-I-N-A, Roar. So it's like Christina, but like she has the X. Anyway, it's linked below, so you can totally just go click that so you can go creep on her gram. Christina, Will you tell us why you decided to become a leadership coach and what types of women you most work with? Yeah, sure thing. So goodness, what a story. I'll try to give you the spark notes because I know we've got a juicy conversation to get into here, but really like I, I was lucky enough to go to college and the college I went to was a women's college. And for four years on campus, they were like, your voice matters. You're amazing. You're great. You can do anything. And I was like, yeah. And then I graduated and hit the streets of New York City and I was like, I'm amazing. And they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> mm, I don't know about that. And I actually spent the first eight months out of college unemployed. Like I couldn't get a job for anything. 
And I was really struggling with that. Like I literally took my degrees off my resume just to get a mall gig so that I wouldn't lose my mind. I was living with my parents. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? And so I, you know, in an act of just trying to find something, I was networking left and right. And I met another Greek American woman, a couple of years, my senior, who had started a company. She was producing events across Manhattan. And she's like, hey, I'll, I'll give you a job. I was like, oh my God, thank you. And, and like I said, I left college being like, wait, why does no one, like, why does no one care about my development the way that college cared about my development? And I thought that she would be the person, you know, we came from the same place. We had the same background. She was also a woman. And unfortunately what I found was, you know, her previous professional life was in corporate America. And so she had that very like ingrained, there's only room for one woman at the leader's table. And so instead, I I faced a lot of bullying, so to speak. You know, I was put down very often. I was told my ideas were stupid and then they'd get used anyway. Wait, by by her? By your boss? Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah. And so I just had this really rude awakening of, you know, going from this like optimistic person that was like, yeah, like people want my leadership and they're going to invite me and I'm going to get the golden ticket and tour the chocolate factory and all these different things into realizing like, oh, like that might not exist. Like there may not be a golden ticket out there. It might actually be on me to go and and take up the space myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I left that position. I took all the experience that I had in event production And I started producing my own women's empowerment events and they were amazing. And along that journey, I interviewed someone to moderate a panel that I was putting together who called herself a coach. And, you know, this was back in 2015, I think. So it was like right before the great coach boon, like it was right before everyone called themselves a coach. And so I didn't really know what that meant. I thought it was something you put on your business card at Staples. So I was intrigued <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and as, as I got to know her more, I was like, wow, like I want to do this. Like, I don't want to just put people in a room and have them talk at women. Like I want to be the one talking to women. How do I do that? And so I did my research. I asked her how she did it. I joined a coach training program and the rest was sort of history. And so, yeah. And um, I've been doing this for four and a half years now. And uh, as you mentioned in my intro, I mostly focus on leadership coaching and uh, really, especially for women who find themselves in new leadership positions. And they're dealing with a lot of the, like the common complaints of like, uh, people don't take me seriously. I don't know how to motivate my team. I'm struggling to unify people to reach a goal together. Uh, I was the overachiever and now I'm promoted and I'm still the one doing all the work myself. Like, what the heck? Uh, So Mm -hmm. I love working with those women to build their confidence, build their presence, help their voices be heard and make sure that they're having the impact they want to have, but not at the expense of them like martyring themselves for their causes. Yeah. Yeah. Like giving up all their time and all their energy and just being a workaholic or something like that because they want their leadership to be I think sometimes like women work really hard because they just want to be seen as a leader mm-hmm. instead of trusting that intuition of I am a leader and therefore because I am a leader, I can delegate and therefore my time is can be used in other ways. Do you find yeah. that? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think like 
I think this is especially true for women, but really for people in general, at least in the United States, like we are like born and bred on achievement culture. Like it is always about like people brag about how many hours a week they work and all the things they're accomplishing and, and all the stuff they're getting done. And I want to be clear, like success is important and I love winning at stuff too. Like who doesn't? But for so many people, there's like, it's always at the expense or the cost of them like enjoying themselves mm. or them actually getting to, you know, celebrate what they've accomplished. Like I always, I always joke with people. I feel like the clients I work with, you know, back before COVID when we had offices, like if you looked at her office space, it would be pristine and meticulous and organized and put together. But then if you followed her home, her apartment would be a disaster because wow. like all of the attention is at work and none of it is, you know, on herself. Hmm. I wonder what her home looks like right now with work from home. <laughs> <laughs> the office is clean, but the kitchen is messy. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like the new version of that is the Zoom window is pristine and then oh. everything behind the computer is like, <laughs> like, you the Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I know. I Even I right now, I'm looking around like I've been needing to tidy my desk for a little while, but I certainly made sure I had a cool fiddly fig behind me. So that, that way I looked cool on my podcast, obviously. There you go. That's hilarious. of college students are women and 48% of employees in the workplace are women, which is awesome. Ladies, this is proof that we are smart and working hard. But you know what's not so awesome? Only 29% of VPs and just 22% of C-suite executives are women. In male-dominated industries such as STEM, these numbers are even more startling. As these numbers state, women aren't lacking the knowledge, education, or ability to be leaders in the workplace. What many women are lacking is the competence to take on risk. Most of us have heard this one before. Men will apply for jobs they are 60% qualified for, yet women will only apply for jobs they are 100% qualified for. This type of stat also applies to women at their job, not willing to take on that new, unknown project. What she's lacking is the belief that her skills and abilities are not only quote unquote, okay, but are powerful and needed in the workplace. The Confidence Workshop is created to help women dig deep into their mindset and get to the root of this problem. If this conversation gets you as fired up as it gets me, we are now taking applications for this workshop for the ladies of STEM corporations. Please head to our website at nextlevelconfident.com to learn more about the Confidence Workshop. So Christina, what is a problem in the world that breaks your heart that you wish you could solve? And why does it break your heart? Uh, that's a rough question these days, but uh, <laughs> I think um, the word, like the thing that always comes to mind for me is ignorance. And, you know, we, we could make ignorance mean anything. We could make it very political if we wanted to. We could make it socioeconomically. There's so many different definitions. But I think outside of all the different interpretations of what that word means, for me, what breaks my heart is just like how quick people are to not hear each other, like mm -hmm. how quick they are to get defensive, to shut down voices they don't agree with, to not be present to what's going on in other people's lives. It's just such a 
like a little lonely individual silo for everyone. That's probably the thing that breaks my heart the most. Mm. Wow. And what, like, how do you think that can change? How do I think it could change? Well, it would probably require all of us turning off the news and talking to people ourselves. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, all jokes aside, like I mentioned how I do a lot of leadership coaching. And I think where this issue and leadership coaching are related yeah. is I think so often, especially in this country, we're like raised with the belief of like, you know, it's on us to form opinions and then leaders have their opinions matter the most. And then we got to like get everyone to agree and conform to it or, you know, it's your way or the highway. When I find in actuality, like so much, like so much of how this thing could be changed around ignorance is if people showed up not with a, I have the right answer and I have the way to do it. And more with a, oh, I wonder how that person might do it. Or I wonder how that person sees it. Like actually practicing a lot of curiosity and mm. interest in truly hearing what the other person has to say. Wow. That's really powerful. You know, I was watching The Social Dilemma recently. And have you seen that already? I have. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I was like immediately like, should I delete Instagram? <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, how can I have even more boundaries or just completely get rid of it for sure? And I think you can have a healthy relationship with social media. But what I was going to say is one stat they say on there is that fake news spreads six times faster than real news. And so that goes to show that, you know, leaders who are on social media, just because they have a large following that makes them a quote unquote leader, but that doesn't actually mean they're a leader necessarily, but yet a lot of times we're listening to voices that have a large platform and trusting that there's this truth, even though what they are sharing could possibly not be truth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like we uh, favor the numbers over the content, so to speak. Yes. That's what's so dangerous about influencer culture. It's like, oh, well, this person has a million subscribers, so like they must be saying real stuff. And it's like, well, no, actually they're just saying dramatic stuff or entertaining stuff or interesting stuff. It's, it's more fun to watch the, excuse my French, with the show going on over there. Right. The, the more clear cut. Here's how it actually is objectively. Right. People are attracted to drama because it catches their eyes and they're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, okay. Going back to the leadership piece, though, what is the biggest complaint that you hear women in the workplace talking about as a leader? Yeah, so I, I think, like I said, a lot of the women that I work with, like, they fit a certain mold. Like, they were all the overachiever types. Like, if there was a group project in school, they'd make sure the project got done for the A. You know what I mean? You know, women yeah. like that. And what I find is often, like, these high-achieving women they are rewarded with promotions. They become managers, they become, you know, leaders, they become executives, they become the person that now is now in charge of the team that they should lead to create the results that they used to create on their own. Mm. So the number one complaint that I hear is, you know, my team doesn't listen to me. I don't know how to motivate them. I don't know how to unify them on a vision. I don't know how to get them going. I don't know how to have us all on the same page. And as a result, even though I have this fancy schmancy title, I'm still, I'm still the person in the group project doing it all myself. Like, Whoa. Wow. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the subconscious thing that's going on for those women? 
You know, I, I think it's a couple things. I think for one, and this is this is not a fact, this is just my own experience and assertion based on working with these folks for a while, is like, I think one of the consequences of being an overachiever is you've learned how to do everything yourself. Mm. And so you're not actually the best at asking for what you need and delegating. There, there's like a sense of control or even like a trust of like, well, I know I could do it really well. So why would I let anyone else do it? Mm. And so the one piece is you got to work on like trusting the people around you to actually do what they say they're going to do. And then related to that is I think sometimes when you move into positions of leadership, you're like, okay, well, I'm the boss. If I say how it should be, that's how it should be. And that might work in some places, but I feel like more and more people are having this experience of realizing they don't want this top-down hierarchy. Like they want partnership. Like they want to know that their voice matters. They want to feel seen and heard on the team, regardless of what their role or position is. And so I feel like the, the other issue is like, A, women don't trust their team. And then B, they don't listen for the contributions that their team members have both for the projects they're working on, but even for them. Like they don't go to them and get feedback on, oh, this is why I think the project is stalled out. Or this is what I notice about why, you know, Christina isn't meeting her deadlines on time. Like there's such an opportunity to actually sit back and listen rather than assume like it's on you to have the answers all the time and your answers are going to be the correct one and the only one. Wow. That's really powerful. That's, that's really good, Christina. Um, I've worked with so many women who say all the exact same things that you're saying. So I'm, I'm like, yup, yup, yup. And a lot of it is giving up that control and having that conversation in your head of like, I can do it better. And I've used this example a lot of times with my clients. Um, I used to be a nanny and there was a little boy that I was nannying. And one time he came into the kitchen and he was getting something off of a top shelf and he somehow knocked over a huge bag of sugar and the sugar went all over the kitchen floor. It made a huge mess. And, you know, it's because of his, you know, being kind of careless and hurrying through it that he knocked it over. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, Brady, you're going to need to sweep up the sugar. And you know, he like had his friends over, so he really didn't want to do it. And he was like rolling his eyes and dragging his feet. And, you know, I'm like, go get the broom. Like, you know, you get to sweep this up. This was, you know, the mess you created. And, and in that moment, I partially didn't want to even take the time to have him do the sweeping because he was six. So mm-hmm. he's like, I'm like, I could just do it for him, right? He's six. He's pretty young. It'd be way faster. I could sweep up that sugar in like two minutes. It's going to take him. It took him like 20 minutes, you know, and he was doing like the worst <laughs> job ever. I'm like, you missed a spot there. You missed a huge clump there. Like he obviously had never, you know, he's not great at sweeping. And it, I hear parents talk about this a lot. This is kind of a segue, but it's like doing things for the kids because you can do it faster. It's faster Mm -hmm. for you to put away the clean dishes. It's faster for you to set the table. It's faster for you to sweep up the mess, but then you don't train the person to learn. So me sitting there and watching him sweep for 20 minutes was painful for both of us, but it taught him a valuable lesson. And that is what I feel like gets to happen within training people and developing people is, yeah, could you sweep that up faster? Could you do that, that project faster? Could you do that thing faster and maybe better and, you know, more efficiently? Yes. Yes. You totally could. Cause you do know how to do it. This is your area of expertise, but 
the person you're training, they're brand new. They're mm-hmm. figuring it out. It's going to take them longer. It's going to take up more of your time in the beginning, but it ends up becoming this beautiful thing where you empower them to do the job themselves, to learn how to sweep, so to speak. Oh my God, that is such a good story. Like that is like the perfect example for I feel like what we're talking about because to your point, like, yeah, as a leader, it's not just your role to practice training the people that work under you. But the other thing is when you don't do that, like when you, using this metaphor, when you take the broom yourself and you're like, whatever, I'm going to clean it up. What you're inadvertently doing is training your teammates of like, oh, she's got it. Mm. Oh, if, if she hits the fan, if we're in trouble, she's got it. I don't have to get it. Yep. And it just continues to breed that sense of like, wow, I am on my own and my team doesn't have my back and I have to work myself into the ground to make this happen. Right. Like you've trained your team to do that because of the way you've controlled everything and you've taken the reins every single time because you don't ever want a a mistake. I think that's why we do that, right? Because if we were to hand over the reins and let them do it, they could mess up, right? Mm -hmm. But we know that we will never mess up. Like I know that I could do it perfectly. I just don't know if they could do it perfectly. So it's that, yeah, it's like kind of a cyclical thing of the leader feeling like, oh my gosh, my team sucks or my team doesn't have my back or like I'm the best person on my team for all of this. And then for them, it's feeling like, yeah, she just kind of takes it over and she does it all herself. And we just kind of don't have to work that hard because she, she's doing it and she doesn't really mm-hmm. want our help. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, I know we're like speaking in hypotheticals, but like in full transparency, like I've been this leader. <laughs> like this le- this woman we're talking about she's me you know especially in addition to my own business I work for a training company like I work for a company to train new coaches hmm. and we operate on teams and I'm in a position of leadership there and you know I I am who I serve I am that control freak overachieving person that like wants it done a certain way and what I notice for myself time and time again is I will create that experience of like, well, I'm on my own. These guys suck and they're not going to get anything done. And what I've had to like learn for myself is to like when that thought shows up, not be right about it and continue to do it all myself, but actually like pause and be like, oh, like who did I train? Who did I not train? Like, Like, why is it going this way? And I've actually had to learn how to practice the humility of asking my team. Like, Mm. I think so many leaders think that it's their job to train and it's not their job to receive training or receive feedback. But what I found is the teams that I've served the best are the ones that there's open communication on both sides. And so it actually requires me to be willing to put down my, I know what's best and it's perfect. And actually ask people like, hey, like I'm feeling super overworked. You know, I notice not everyone's contributing. What do you see about that? And being open to mm. what they have for me. Yeah. And feedback is scary for sure. Mm-hmm. Feedback is super scary. That's something I talk about in the confidence workshop, um, that having a growth mindset means that you change the narrative around feedback instead of taking feedback personally and allowing it to, you know, someone tells you something and you immediately, it's like attacking your 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 inner being instead of saying, okay, I can use this to become better. I can use this to grow. So some of that is just changing your relationship with feedback and, and how you allow it to shape you. Cause if you're secure in who you are, 
then feedback helps you grow. But if you're insecure, then feedback is very personal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what are some of your top tips for becoming a better leader? Both, um, I mean, that could be like the professional, the workplace, maybe as an entrepreneur or even in one's personal life. Yeah, great question. I mean, the first one that immediately comes to mind is the one that we were just talking about, which is make sure that you have created a feedback loop for yourself. So whether it's there's someone above you that manages you or your own team or a bonus would be if you did both, like actually make sure that you're consistently getting feedback on how it's going and being open to it. I think the other piece then is, and this applies to your point, professional or personal. Like I love giving people the practice of like, notice when, like notice how much space you take up in a conversation. So like if we were going to like, you know, put this audio through a recording and it's like, oh, well, Christina spoke 85% of the time and Janelle only spoke 15% of the time mm. and like actually practice speaking less and listening more. Because what I find is so often a lot of the patterns that we have that we struggle to break continue to happen because we're not listening for how it could be different and we're not actually hearing people. So the more that you can practice hearing and seeing people exactly as they are, um, the easier I find it is for you to practice like being really real with who you are and what you need. Wow. So yeah, feedback loop and then okay. practice talking less. Two quick questions. One on the feedback loop. How do you do that on a practical level? Like what if someone's listening? They're like, I don't know. I don't really like, maybe I asked for feedback, but what if the person doesn't give it to me? Or what if, I don't know, what does that look like to actually have a feedback loop? Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, some people have really weird relationships to feedback. And so, you know, we might've just had a team meeting together and I'm like, Hey, Janelle, give me some feedback on how that went. And you'd be like, I don't want to criticize you. <laughs> right. But there are, there are nuanced ways to still ask for stuff of like, Hey, I noticed I'm stuck here. How would you do this? Or, hey, I just left that meeting and I felt like it was really low energy. Was that your experience? Like, what are you noticing on the team right now? Wow. That's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so good. I love those. Okay. And then for the second piece, um, oh, shoot. I already blinked on what my actual question was. What was number two again? Uh, talk less. Listen. Talk more. less. Listen more. Okay. So for me, I'm a big talker. And this is something that I actually pretty recently have started to notice more of the fact that I think what I can sometimes do in my excitement and happiness, like I really don't mean it to be selfish seeming, but I get really excited and I might ask a question and the person answers and I want to relate with them like really badly. So they're like, you know, I've been working out more and I'm like, me too. Or like, wow. Like, and so I like end up interjecting a little bit quicker and I think it takes away from them sharing more of what they might've shared if I had just kept my mouth shut. And I, I've heard it called active listening. Instead of mm -hmm. trying to think about what you're going to say next, you just literally are so present that you just shut your mouth and listen to their actual words, mm -hmm. which for me can be a little scary. Cause I think for the longest time I had a really, and this is still me like getting better, but I had this thing where if there was silence, it was really bad. Like, especially with a, a boyfriend or something like that, if we were hanging out and there was silence, I was like, does this mean we don't like each other anymore? 
I was like, this is bad. Silence is so bad. And so many women that I work with say similar things like silence scares them, especially silence with themselves. And so I think for me, some of why I was, why I've done that. And like, once again, this is me still very much needing to grow and getting to grow into all of this. But I think silence has been uncomfortable for me. So that's why while someone's talking, I'm trying to plan the next thing I'll say so that we can have this really awesome back and forth conversation and there's no awkward silences. Mm -hmm. Instead of being okay with an awkward silence and that's what you do have actually when you listen so fully that you haven't planned your next sentence and you're just listening and then they finish what they say and you're like, huh. And then you start thinking about how you might want to respond instead of always thinking of your response in the very moment. Um, so anyway, that's something I'm learning right now. I just want to throw that in because it's very new for me because I didn't realize I was being dominant. And I like your simple action of like, if this was a loop, how, what percentage were you talking versus what percentage were they talking? Did you dominate the conversation? Or even for the person who might be on the other end, who's a little more introverted, who is like, I was only taking up 10 or 15% of that conversation. I think some of it's even on that person too, to be willing to maybe interrupt or being willing to speak their voice um, so that the dominant person can be like, oh, okay, good. They're talking, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think to your point, like for anyone who's listening, that's like, oh, well, I take up 90% of the conversation. The thought of taking up 50% or less sounds impossible. Like you don't need to go straight for 50, 50. Like I even share this with like clients that I'm training to be coaches because use it active listening. Like you could even practice with being like, Hey, like always start your next response with a question. Like rather than interject with the, Oh my God, I work out too. Go with like, oh, what kind of working out have you been doing? Or what exercises do you love? Because that, like, every time you ask a question, it puts the ball back on their side of the court to continue to create more of the conversation. And so if you're someone who never asks any questions, you just talk, maybe you start with practicing asking one more question in every conversation or two more and just, like, see how it feels for you. It's It's not a I want to be clear. I'm not saying you better do this or you're ignorant and you don't listen to people. But if you're interested in practicing communicating in different ways, I think it's a really cool exercise to take on. Wow. So cool. I love that, Christina. Okay. So you've given those two tips. Do you have, did you have any more you want to say or, or did we cover the tips? I feel like those are the, the juicy ones. The juicy started ones. There. Yeah. Juicy. Okay. My next question for you is what do you think it means to be a leader? Like what does it actually mean? Mm. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. And to me, what it truly means to be a leader is to own the impact that you have on the planet. And that could be in a professional setting, it could be in a political setting, and it could even be in a personal setting. Like I have it that if you have a family, you're the leader of that family, regardless of your role. And so when I say you have a willingness to own your impact, what I mean is like you actually have like a vision of how you want it to go. So the mother that knows that she wants a family life where, you know, she and her spouse are, you know, partners and they're raising their children with passion and play and joy. I refer to the professional who, you know, 
is a leader and knows that, you know, she's create, she's a part of this organization because she wants to see equality and power and other women have their voices raised. Like, like that's what I mean is leaders that can like own the vision that they have and then actually like contribute to fulfilling on that vision. Wow. So what if someone's unclear of their vision, like why they're working for that company? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say if you're unclear, you might want to take a step back and recreate clarity for yourself. And I think that's, a, first of all, I want to normalize it because like I said earlier, like we're, we're all built and bred on achievement culture. We've been so go, 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 go. And even for like a lot of us in like the millennial generation, it was like, yeah, go to school, go to college, get A's, get a job, buy a house, have a mortgage, did it, did it, did it. And yeah. so sometimes like we, we actually need that pause to be like, wait, why am I, why am I doing this? What was in it for me? And so going back to the company conversation, if you're not sure why you're working inside of an organization, like go back to its vision and mission. Why was it created in the first place? Who does it serve? What's the impact that it has? And as you look there, think to yourself, oh, do these values align with my own? And if they do, how can I actually be fulfilling on them more in the role that I hold. Yeah, that's good. Really good. Okay. So what if someone is listening right now and they're not really sure if they're a leader or not, how would they gauge themselves? Yeah. Um, well, spoiler alert, if you're listening, I would say that you are a leader and maybe you just don't know yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and if you're just like, oh, well, you know, I'm an artist or I'm a yoga practitioner or I'm a a singer, an actor, like leader, like leaders don't exist in my space. Like, again, I, I would, I would simply ask yourself, is there an impact that, you know, you want to make in some part of your life, whether it's for other people or for yourself or just for the experience that you're having? Cause I would say if the answer is yes, then you're absolutely a leader. Yeah. Come on. Yes, you are. <laughs> Okay, cool. So what do you want everyone from this podcast to walk away thinking about? Like, what would be your biggest takeaway for them? Yeah, I would say if you take nothing else out of what we've talked about today, like really going back to this idea of not just assuming that it's on you to have answers all the time and actually like how much easier and uh, frankly, like more in flow your life could be if you practice listening and hearing others as much as you practice trying to like assert or be heard yourself. That would be like the one takeaway that I would really want you all to chew on from this. So cool. And then if you could turn that into a smart, like a specific action step, what would you urge the specific action step to be? Yeah, I think the specific action would be like to actually practice noticing like how many conversations are you really listening to the other person? And I have it the ways that you'll know is I loved when you were talking about awkward silences earlier, because I have it that if you're present in a conversation, there's no such thing as awkward. There's just silence. So like notice that, like notice if like you can actually like be with people in a way where you're like, wow, I like really see and hear this person. Um, and I want to be clear, you don't have to go and take that as a challenge. Like you don't have to, you don't have to go talk to the person that has opposite political views as you. You don't have to go talk to that estranged relative that you can't stand, but like do it with your friends, do it with your partner, do it with your colleagues, like do it with people that actually matters for you. And like notice if even the people you love the most, there are parts of them that maybe you haven't always been listening to or listening for. Cool. 
So powerful. Awesome, Christina. Okay. So you guys, we have never done this before on the Next Level Confident Podcast. I'm super freaking excited, but we are going to have a power hour to end this podcast. Woo! So pumped. Shout out to Abby Zufeltz. She did this for me on her podcast and I thought it was so cool. And I was like, I'm stealing that. So Christina, we are going to do a quick power hour of questions, rapid fire. What is the best advice you've ever received? Ooh, uh, surround yourself with people that are better than you are. Awesome. What is your favorite beverage? Ooh, green tea or craft beer, depending on the time of day. (laughs) Yeah. I know you said, um, you know, off this chat that you make your own beer. What kind of beer do you usually make? Ooh, I'm a huge fan of like Belgian styles. So triples are like my favorite beer of choice right now. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I have a blank at my desk at all times. A crystal. A crystal. Mm -hmm. What book or podcast are you reading right now? Or listening to. So I'm reading The Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And it's a super amazing book around like new and reinvented leadership styles. Cool. Okay. We'll link that book below. So that way you guys can check it out if you're interested. What is your favorite personality test, if any? Ooh, I am a sucker for Myers-Briggs. I love the MBTI test. I like carry it with me everywhere. I'm an INFJ, which basically just means I'm introverted, uh, introspective, and I love being as organized as possible. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm an ENFJ actually. So we're like the introverted and extroverted versions of each other. There we go. That's fun. Have you done an Enneagram? Uh, I have, but I've got to say Enneagram, I'm like tied with like five different Oh, wow. So I don't find it quite as <laughs> as riveting. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm a big Enneagram fan, but you know, we can still be friends. It's all good. No, I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> what is your best moment as a business woman? Ooh, I think for me, it definitely has to be back in 2019. I had the chance to speak in Prague internationally on how to coach millennials. And it was like, on top wow. of it, it my birthday that same week. So I got to celebrate my birthday and speak on an international stage in the same week. That's amazing. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. Christina, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was seriously so good. Like I loved every moment of it. I love your energy. Um, I love how present you are and just, I don't know, everything that you brought to the table today was really valuable. And I know I have a lot of big takeaways, so I know everyone listening will feel the same way. So thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. And I'm going to definitely use the sugar sweeping metaphor with someone later today. I can feel it already. Yes. That's awesome. The little six-year-old has no idea he's famous. (laughs) That's awesome. Have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you later.